0: Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Pop That Mama. And in this episode, I'm joined by Anna Clarkson from Hackney Hypnobirthing. And she is on the podcast to share not one, but two birth stories. And this is really, really an interesting listen for anyone who's pregnant because it just shows just how different two births can be and just how important preparation is. So I hope you enjoy, guys. Anna, over to you to say hi and introduce yourself.
1: Oh, hi, Poppy. Um, thank you so much for having me. I um, I can't tell you, I'm such a podcast geek, so I'm thrilled to uh, actually be on one. Amazing. So yeah, so um, I'm um a hypnobirthing teacher or practitioner or whatever you want to call it. Um, based in Hackney, East London. Um, I'm completely obsessed with all things birth, just like you, Um, uh, and I love um, helping people to really kind of unlock their power um, and confidence and just feel really prepared for their birthing their babies, um, however that might happen. Um, uh, And with that in mind, I teach a standard course, I also teach a specific hypnobirthing for cesarean course, um, which is kind of a place to celebrate that birth experience too um so yeah very lucky considering you know just the loveliest job in the world really yeah
0: amazing totally agree and uh, yeah we'll come on to talk a bit about your courses at the end but I can't wait to hear your story I know you emailed me the bullet points and I was just like oh my god I can't wait to hear her actually tell this story so over to you <laughs> over to you oh. to share your stories
1: yeah thank you so um i have two children so my son ted is um eight um and my daughter martha is four coming up to five um at the end of august um and yeah it's kind of a tale of two birth stories really (laughs) so um so my son's birth and and i think it also explains how i've come to be doing hypnobirthing um because with my sons me and my husband were basically uh, I think we were like "Well, ignorance is bliss I don't want to know it's going to be absolutely terrible there's absolutely nothing I can do to prepare for it um I don't want to do NCT because I don't want to make mum friends because I've already got friends thanks very much I mean it's just <laughs> So, so naive um, and arrogant, actually, maybe. <laughs> um, and um yeah, and actually turns out that's not the best way to prepare for um birth and um parenthood, actually. Um so um throughout my pregnancy, I didn't do any preparation, didn't do any exercise. I think we did actually we did go to one antenatal class at the hospital, which was pretty terrible I do remember there was a couple there who um put their hands up and said can you wash your baby with bleach and we were like oh my god god (laughs) if they these bozos can do it then we can (laughs) which is not great (laughs) um and um yeah so I throughout my entire um antenatal care I kind of let my midwife sort of make all the decisions for me really like I kept um, being sent for blood tests didn't didn't think to even ask why I just kind of kind of blindly went along with that um I'd like to maybe I should get my notes and find out what they were for actually um but um and I think the biggest thing was I just handed over all of my kind of um autonomy to her and actually she was great I had one midwife which is actually quite unusual um through kind of um maternity care to just have one unless you're having a home birth which is you tend to have that more. Um, But on my due date, she's just said, well, we'll we'll book you in for your induction because um, otherwise we won't get it booked in if we don't do it now. And I just said, oh, okay, yeah, sure. You know, not knowing nothing of the process, knowing, just assuming, well, nobody actually goes into labor naturally because so many of my friends have been induced um and kind of talked about it in quite a negative way but it just for me was like oh well that's a foregone conclusion everyone just is induced you know um so um that was booked for 10 40 plus 10 i guess the day we went in i have to say actually that all went to plan in the sense that we we were at the homerton hospital which is my local both of my children were born there and um we went in for the um prostaglandins gel and the midwife was amazing and she said you're going to be back here in 12 hours this baby is on the way um so that was kind of oh great okay brilliant you know reassuring and that's exactly what happened we went home because you could have it as outpatient which i think they've reinstated um and came home and then i was not in labor and then bam i was suddenly in labor and i had because i'd done no preparation I uh, had no breathing technique, no kind of um, understanding of um, distraction, no understanding of what was actually happening in my body and how I could kind of, you know, move with it and all those sorts of things that now I, of course, know. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was not great. So we went in that morning in a Uber, I think, or whatever it was at the time, uh, you know, car from under the bridge (laughs) and sitting down. that was just like agony in the back of the car. And we went in and and in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to go to the birth centre because that's kind of seems like a nice halfway house. Um, Not really not understanding anything about any of the birth environments available. We we went in, got examined. I was four centimetres. So that was really encouraging. Although that was horrendous horrendous vaginal examination at that point um lying on my back i now know that i could have said no to that but didn't know that at the time and we then get put back into the sort of triage bit and Um, that was pretty full on, like bright lights, lots of other people there being watched, you know, all those sorts of things, labouring very loudly. Um, Went into the room and then I think I had the Pethidin injection, um, which did absolutely nothing. I think it just made me a bit confused. I got a bit, um, sort of didn't really know what the time was by that point. And I was just begging for an epidural. So, um, which I got. So we had to obviously then move on to the labour ward. Had the epidural, which was such a relief because by that point I'd been labouring since about midnight and I think I probably had that about two o'clock in the afternoon I have to say a lot of this is quite hazy in my mind bearing in mind it was eight years ago but also I think that my brain has slightly blocked out some of the memories of it my husband probably has a better idea and um, I have a very distinct memory of him going off to have a get a panini at the <laughs> Costa coffee in uh, Homerton because he's starving hadn't eaten anything um and he didn't know how to support me at all. And I think that the midwives actually just sort of saw him as a bit of a nuisance because he wasn't able to sort of be practical and a kind of a you know um, helpful birth partner in that sense. Um, so then after that, I proceeded to have just constantly topping the epidural up. So I completely lost any feeling in my legs. And then I ended up in every, um, like everything I thought I, you know, the, the only thing I knew that I'd sort of thought I should be doing is not lying on my back, which is exactly what happened with, you know, continuous monitoring. Um, I couldn't have moved if I tried and certainly Tim wouldn't have known how to support me even if I wanted to. Um, and I think I was just like, I just don't want this experience anymore. I don't want this sensation, this pain anymore. Um, and then all of a sudden the machine I was hooked up to started dinging, like just like ding, 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 ding. And then 10, a crash team of people run into the room, emergency, emergency, something's wrong with the baby. They break my waters. Um, and, um, so it's kind of like, I'm suddenly in this, like, Oh my God, but I'm, but I'm actually sort of a bit out of it as well, because I'd had so much of this epidural kind of like, not really kind of in the zone. I think I'd slightly drifted in and out of sleep a bit. And then it transpires oh the machine's broken so actually there's nothing wrong with my son we didn't know we were having a boy at this point but i had then <laughs> been put into a situation where i'd had artificial rupture of membranes i wasn't dilating much because i wasn't moving you know i was just staying still lying down on the bed um and then but they didn't take me off that machine <laughs> so i kept i was still in a room brightly lit room by this point it must have been kind of late afternoon with a machine just dinging on and off like i'm on emergency you know that they the kind of like a dangerous emergency situation the doctors had left by this point and i was back with my midwife but um you know that's not the best environment for kind of feeling calm <laughs> and prepared um and then i think so he was born at 8 30 but with the up to that it was like went to that classic legs up in stirrups or feet in stirrups you know forceps episiotomy I think at one point, maybe the doctor said, if this baby's not out in t- you know the next few pushes, which I couldn't feel anything because that's so much of the um, that um, then we- you're going to have a cesarean, which sort of felt like this kind of foregone conclusion. And I think by that point, I would have just been like... "I." okay, fine. (laughs) I'm just tired. I've had enough, you know, I didn't feel like I had any control in the situation at all. Um, yeah. And then, um, and he was born and I certainly didn't have that great big rush of love. My, my abiding memory actually is of Tim sobbing, just like you're both alive. Thank God it's over. And I just felt like I'd been hit by a bus. Um, and as I kind of held him afterwards, then, you know, that, that did come that kind of bonding experience. Um, but it was, I was on the postnatal ward. I don't, sorry, I should also say I'd had a really quite significant postpartum hemorrhage by this point. I think I'd lost a litre and a half of blood. So lots of iron tablets, you know, I just look like death. When I look at the pictures, it kind of slightly breaks my heart really. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just, we slept walked into that birth, you know, no preparation whatsoever. And um, as much as I sort of feel, sad for that and I regret it I think it then has spurred me on to not do that, <laughs> for that to, or for at least to kind of encourage people to not do that too because um you know we were lucky he was fine I narrowly avoided a cesarean and not to say that a cesarean is anyway a negative thing at all it can be a really beautiful experience and um but it was you know I I w- was very close to that sort of classic induction of labor unplanned cesarean mm-hmm. um so yeah, that was my first birth experience. And then what, after that was a kind of a long recovery. I, I don't think I had postnatal depression, but I certainly felt a bit like, oh, birth's really negative. Like, uh, I definitely didn't nail that birth. You know, I didn't feel great about it. And unfortunately I did proceed to tell all my friends about, you know, this horrendous, how terrible birth is. I thought I was going to die, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, which I now realise is incredibly damaging, you know, mm-hmm. Um and it don't, I don't think it's a sad story. And I certainly don't kind of have like a, oh, you know, poor me. But I do have a sense of like, I got that wrong because I didn't put any of the preparation. in
0: Yeah, I was going to ask. So when when you got back from hospital and you went home, what, what was going through your mind and how were you processing what happened? Did you find that you were replaying the birth and wondering what you could have done differently? What was the processing like for for that experience?
1: Yeah, do you know, I don't know whether there really was any processing. I certainly okay. don't feel like I was replaying anything. I think I was just chalking it up to a like, oh, well, that was as horrific as I thought it was going to be, you right. know, because right. i that's absolutely how I walked into it. I was like, mm. you know, this is and the thing that we'll come on to about birthing is absolutely mindset, you know, mm. I... it it, it just it was like it was that well that was inevitably how that was going to be and it really it was it's going to be shit oh and it was (laughs) Um, and um I certainly don't feel as though I had um and I think I was very lucky because a lot of people certainly do have a kind of you know um replay things or have perhaps intrusive thoughts about it or um I think it was just that like oh well that was horrible Um, you know and um, I you know I don't really desperately want to go through that anytime soon Um, but then when I was pregnant with my daughter three years later well so the end of 2015 I was kind of like oh god I'm gonna have to give birth again Um, so that's I guess how that that was sort of a moment of like oh yeah that (laughs) Um, which is then how I came on to find out about hypnobirthing, and I have to say actually I did I had heard about it first time around but I had definitely sort of thought well no that's for hippies and Mm. you can't prepare for your birth Uh, a friend had given us a cd actually and I think I listened to that three times about 38 weeks and it was everything I thought it was going to be you know um Enya and soft voices and imagining Mm -hmm. my cervix opening like a flower um and then you know it was it was kind of quite calming i suppose but it, i don't think it had any impact on me whatsoever um and tim would sit on the end of the bed eating crisps laughing at it you know he thought it was not very supportive um so that was my kind of first foray into that but it definitely didn't feel like it was something for me at all um as a as a, as a concept until i had sort of had a negative experience and thought right well there's got to be another way um and I think that was when I started to become a bit more interested in Instagram generally. Um, cause I used to only use it to put filters on pictures of, you know, my family. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> so I was like, you know, cause I, I just like people are what putting pictures of their food on, you know, the internet, how weird. Um, but then I started to sort of use it in a kind of from a more, I don't know, community aspect, I suppose. Um, and I started to get loads of targeted advertising because, you know, bots, very clever, all that sort of thing um, about positive birth and feeling confident and feeling, you know, prepared and um, even excited or being joyful about your birth experience. And so I thought, well, actually, why not? What have I got to lose? Because it can't be worse than that, you know, that previous experience. Um, so I, I, I signed us up to a course with Holly de Cruz. So the yes, Mum Mum um, down in Dulwich. So we were in Hackney, but, and there were definitely local people, but there was something about her that really spoke to me. Um, and I sort of, it got really um, obsessively reading positive birth stories on her website. So I was already doing a bit without realizing a bit of, um, resetting my mind, um, about how a birth might look. Um, so I signed us up and Tim was kind of like, you know, I'll do whatever you want because it's, you know it's your, you're the one having the baby. Um, but what I think he didn't realize was the impact that it would have on him. Um, so we signed up and within about 30 minutes, we were like, Jesus Christ, this is so good. Like, (laughs) this is so obvious. Um, so, um, scientific, so evidence-based. So like, and, and the main thing was like, how the hell did we think that we could go into a, our birth without doing anything you know the first time um I don't think it's quite shame but there is an element of like what an idiot <laughs> um and um so we did the course and I think we got really into the practice of it like really every day we would practice the um, massage technique or the scripts or um I'd listen to the mp3s every of a day. every day I was um commuting I'd listen to the affirmations like over and over again um And I had such a lovely pregnancy because of that, because my mindset was suddenly going from like dread to, oh, I'm really excited about birthing my baby, which considering my first experience, I think is pretty transformative. Um, I never thought that I would be the person who's like, yeah I can't wait to give birth you know um so yeah so I was very into that and um and had you know affirmation stuck up everywhere Tim Tim did that he so he put them one on the bottom of the remote control because I watch a lot of TV uh, and <laughs> like by light switches or by the mirror you know they were everywhere about being strong or the one that was really key for me was about um each uh surge brings my baby closer to me And that was really transformative because the last time, each time I had it, what I was calling contractions at that point, just felt like my whole body would tense up, you know, with anxiety. I just didn't want this, this overwhelming and it was pain for me, you know, Um, but um, so, but I had really worked very hard on my mindset of like really changing how I was going to view my birth experience. So um, the day she was born, I, oh, sorry, I should say, actually, I did um, consent to induction for the second time just because even though I didn't want it and I didn't think it was going to happen. Even knowing everything I knew, the pressure was so intense from um, (laughs) the midwives um, to just say yes to it. I just thought just to shut them up. Okay, fine. But I pushed it back as very late, like later than they wanted me to do it. Just so that I didn't have to have that conversation over and over again, because I know how much the pressure is when that, you know, it's very difficult to constantly say no to medical, quote unquote advice um so I had done that I'd also consented to sweeps which was um for me felt like the right thing I do recognize that myself as a form of induction as well but that was what I was I'd made an informed choice about that that felt right for me. And actually, Tim came along to that induction conversation with me the first time because we we declined it the first time. And I, when they took my blood pressure, it was like absolutely through the roof because, it, they, you know, these conversations are so intense. So I I, I understand fully the pressure um, of um, going against medical advice, you know, or, or not against it, but just declining stuff. But anyway, regardless, I'd signed up for it um knowing that I wasn't going to need it. I just knew. Um, but I just wanted to stop that conversation. So the day she was born, I woke up and I just had a real sense of like, it's today. It's going to be today. And it was really sunny because she was born at the end of August. So it was baking hot, Um, you know, being heavily pregnant at the end of August is not ideal. Um, (laughs) So that was kind of, I was looking forward to that. Um, And then I woke up and I just, uh, I cooked a roast chicken on a really hot day. Probably not the best idea. I had a two hour nap. I had a really long bath with my essential oils. I just had a really lovely kind of just happy day, you know, regularly having surges as they were sort of starting to build up, but having no issue with them. They were just kind of like coming, breathing through them, and then letting them pass me by. So they built up throughout the day you know, without any kind of um, issue whatsoever. And then till about 6.30 at night, when I really, really had to concentrate on my breathing, um, Tim had called my mum up a couple of days earlier, so she was there to look after Ted. And I think that allowed my body to release, actually. I do think there was an element of like, well, who's gonna be here to look after Ted? So that was one of the things that he had taken on as his responsibility to organise that logistic stuff um and about 6 30 at night she um my son fell asleep in his dinner which he has never done before or since so I think there was an instinct element from him um I should also say that when I was before I knew I was pregnant we were in the bath together and he said you've got a baby in your tummy and it's a girl and now that makes him sound like Damien from The Omen (laughs) but actually he's (laughs) A really very nice boy. <laughs> he was three at the time, and um, three and a half. But he, um, yeah, there was some like weird, you know, instinctive thing that kids have, and um, yeah, he fell asleep in his dinner. So I have a picture on my phone of, you know, the timestamp is six thirty, um, uh, of him asleep on Tim's lap. And at that point I really had to like, I knew I needed to be in the dark. I knew about birth environment. I needed to be in my bedroom. Um, I knew we were going to the hospital because I'd had such a significant bleed the first time it felt after a conversation with a consultant that that was the best place for me because we were sort of toying with the idea of a home birth, which again, is something I never thought I would do. Um, But weighing up the options and having a really um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for kind of um, confident conversation with the consultant, she said, Um, I think it would be better based on that, that you come in. And I was happy with that, so fine. So that I was going to the labor ward for that, just in case it happened again. Even though in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't think that is going to happen again. Um, And actually a home birth midwife would have been able to cope with that anyway, but regardless, that was our choice. But before that, I came into my um into our bedroom in the dark, um, had a really super hot shower, and that was really helping with that. I was feeling quite a lot in my back, um, back labour. Um, and then Tim was putting um Ted to bed. I don't really know what my mum was doing actually at this point, um, <laughs> which is kind of weird, actually. She was supposed to be on Ted duty, but there you go. Um, he came in, and then about 90 minutes later, he said, Right, I've got our neighbor outside. She's going to drive us, she's a nurse, actually. Um, and that was such a relief because I think I had, there was a bit of an element of like, oh God, is an Uber going to take us, you know, um, because we didn't have a car. And um, so we, we had to get, you know, a taxi or whatever. And um, I have since discovered, and I mean, since in the last six months or so, Tim said that he had called for an Uber and they had, um, or for a car under the bridge or whatever. And they had declined to take us because I think he'd said that I was in labour. Um, so had he told me that during that point, that would have been horrific, but obviously he chose not to knowing how that might affect my <laughs> stress levels. Um, so yeah, so our neighbor was outside the front. Tim was amazing at just breathing next to me. And then I would repeat the breath back to him. If he had told me, you know, calm down, or, calm breathing, I would have punched him in the face. Like no question. <laughs> (laughs) But he was just able to, um, just calm me down. I would mirror the breathing back to him and it just made all the difference. And he put his hand on my shoulder and because we'd done the massage practice, it was like he performed some kind of Jedi mind trick on me. Um, so that was amazing. Um, so we, we leave, and this is about eight o'clock I think at this point, maybe just after eight. Um, and, um, my waters broken in the hallway and the stairwell, going leaving the flat, um, which is the only bit that really was like a film, to be honest with you. You know, we constantly see waters breaking everywhere in films. And that did happen. Um, so I was like, oh, right, this is this is gonna be soon. Pile into the back of this car, I was kind of upright in the back over the car seat of the baby car seat <laughs> with my headphones on and my MP3s, clinging onto every word for your dear life, you know, of that. Um, uh eye mask on, um, essential oils on a cloth. I was, I mean, I had, that was working the hardest I think I've ever worked in my entire life because I'm pretty sure I was in transition at that point in the car and every light that could go red, went red. So a journey that should take 10 minutes, I think probably took closer to 20. So that was pretty hardcore. Um, And, you know, I was, there were moments of like, oh my God, right. This is so overwhelming. Um, And, you know, hardcore, you know, um, but I, I kind of managed to just focus on that breathing focus on the, um, affirmations. Um, and, um, so we got into the car park finally, that was the only point I opened my eyes. I could see we were turning into the car park and I suddenly said, I need to push. Like I just had this, like my, and it's not pushing, it's not quite the right word, but my body was telling me this baby's coming. So I got out of the car with the bags and everything. Um, waddled up to the um delivery suite bit and the woman at reception could not have been less interested i don't think she even turned around to take my notes <laughs> and tim was just banged his hand on the counter and said she's had a previous pph and she needs to push and oh the door suddenly fling open and there are about another 20 laboring people in that space so they must have absolutely hated my guts at this point but i was not i was, really wasn't there i was so in my own body and um and I'm so in my own zone, I forgot to take my pants off. So the midwife's like, um, yeah, you are, you are going to take off your underwear. I was like, okay, whatever, you know, because I, I just wasn't there. I was in, so in my own zone, you know, I, I sort of vaguely be remembered being in uh, introduced to, to people. I think there was a couple of midwives and a doctor and I have really just just like, I was not interested. I just, you know, that was just not, I did not need to be in that room kind of mentally um and the urge suddenly came back again so I think that kind of that walk was the kind of enough of a stressor of adrenaline to stop that process from happening um and then suddenly it happens again and interestingly because it was so quick and of course we'd written this kind of mega birth plan they didn't have time to read it um so um Tim amazingly was like, they just start to try and coach me to push. And he was like, um, very kindly, but just said, no, she doesn't need it. She'll do it herself. And they were so brilliant. They just stood back and let me get on with it. And, um, that process was amazing because I couldn't feel, because I didn't feel anything at all first time around to then really suddenly realize that I could trust my body was amazing. And I'm not going to deny that there wasn't, you know, pretty sort of stingy at the point of crowning. <laughs> uh, that was quite hardcore. But, you know, and I think i was saying to Tim, oh, it stings. <laughs> um, and, um, and he was just kind of like he kept reminding me about the breathing at that point as well. And then she was born 10 minutes later. So, yeah, so she was born and I, she didn't make a sound. So wow. they kind of guided her up to me because, you know, I sort of got a bit kind of confused about the cord, <laughs> obviously still being attached um kind of tangled up with that up to my chest. And then Tim kind of pulled my dress over the top. I'd been wearing this kind of cotton dress, dress thing from H&M that I'd worn for basically the end of my pregnancy. um And um, obviously I threw away. <laughs> but that was pulled up over the top of my head and, I just looked at her and I, and I she looked up at me as if with a look that I now know to be like, this is me, take it or leave it. <laughs> um, and it was just euphoric, like nothing I've ever experienced. It was incredible, you know, and I can't say that I had a pain-free labor. That was not how it was, but it certainly was not out of my control. Mm-hmm. There were definitely moments where it was like, oh, God, this is full on. And for me, hypnobirthing was a bit like a lighthouse that would just bring me back each time when things were getting a bit kind of hairy a bit out of control a bit like not out of control but sort of full-on I could reset and Tim could help me reset so it was so transformative for both of us because he was so involved I couldn't have done it without him whereas the first time he didn't know how to help me at all and I didn't know how to help myself either um so it was amazing and we stayed overnight because she was born at 8 30 at night so basically I had a kind of a two-hour active labor and it is quicker usually second time um not always but often um and um we stayed overnight because it was later in the day and there wasn't a pediatrician to sign us off but truly I felt like I could have walked home straight away like I, I felt so brilliant and I didn't have the bleed. They did put a cannula in, which was horrible. Um, and I decided to opt for the um, uh, managed third stage because of that kind of potential risk of that bleeding, which didn't happen anyway. But um, I was happy with that choice and Tim made sure that we had, you know, um, delayed cord clamping and all those sorts of things. But honestly, I was so high, like it was, oh, wow. uh, there is no greater high than that. And, you know, having, I went to an art college, so I spent quite a lot of my time, my youth high and, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> and nothing, not really youth, you know, university, um, nothing will ever compare to um, the, um, that kind of oxytocin high. You know, yeah, I would chase that forever. Probably. I'm not having any more children, but um, <laughs> two is enough, but certainly not because I'm concerned about birth. You know, it was yeah. just it, yeah, it was incredible. And then I wanted other people to feel how I felt, you know, and that's why I decided to teach. Gosh, um, what what a, what a different
0: kind of two stories. Right. And <laughs> and it sounds like Tim had such an empowering role in, in your second birth which is amazing. But a lot of people listening to my podcast are pregnant. They Mm. are hoping to have a positive birth. Mm. You spoke a lot about how much practicing you did and how beneficial Mm -hmm. that was. What would you say to the people listening are the kind of key things that you need to do to be able to have a positive and empowering birth?
1: yeah absolutely so practice is such a huge part of it because you know if you decide that you're going to sign up for a course you know with a, whoever that's with with me or with someone else so mine is 10 hours basically eight to ten hours because it's four times two two and a half hours you are wasting your time and money if you come to that and do nothing with it because it's a practice in the same way that kind of yoga is a practice you know you you have your work cut out because everything in society tells you the birth is horrible mm-hmm. everywhere you know TV, drama, film, Rachel from Friends. I mean, fucking hell, can we talk about that? Like that insane, you know, (laughs) birthing on our backs, lithotomy, you know, all of these insane things. and so everywhere you look and, you know, people telling you negative birth stories, which is, of course, what I did after Ted and because I didn't realise the impact it could have on someone who's pregnant. Mm. Um, so it's a, you have to really work very hard to overcome this idea that birth can only be one way. Yeah. Um so um, on the course and that I teach and lots of other people teach, you will see lots of positive birth videos. And sometimes those videos will be a kind of quiet, dreamy women in a pool at home, mm. silent. And that c- it can look like that and sound like that that wasn't my experience. I was very noisy, (laughs) very vocal. And actually there are certain noises that we make as a kind of mooing as a classic um, sort of sound that happens, especially at that kind of the down phase of like what most people would probably know as the pushing phase. Um, So, so I'm very conscious when I show videos like that, but it's just all I'm trying to do is to show how birth can look as opposed to this is how you're, this is a perfect quote unquote hypnobirth. Mm. Um, So, so it's basically flooding your subconscious mind with positive impact around birth. And that mm-hmm. does not mean positive birth does not equal unmedicated birth. Yeah, My yeah. second birth just happened to be un- unmedicated, but I'm also very conscious that there are elements of luck in labor. You know, yes. you cannot control every element, no way. And I had certain things in my favor. It was quick. You know, I think, um, if it had gone on for longer, and maybe I would have sort of certainly I, I I do remember I was asking for gas and air at one point when I got to the room, and they were like, she's coming. <laughs> it's way too late now. Um, but I, I could totally see that I might have needed some relief at that point. Mm. Um so um, but I think um A, it's doing lots of practice, so flooding the subconscious with positive birth stories, positive birth videos, um, hearing, you know, kind of um positive birth imagery. There are so many. on, on Instagram, you can kind of just follow, um, I, I'm really happy to share some accounts I absolutely love, like Eve the Rose Birth is particularly great, um, oh, there are so many, um, so that's a huge part, and then the bit that I'm probably most passionate about is the autonomy and rights bit, so, yeah, it's, and I think most hypnobirthing teachers are, because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's not that it's about, um, slagging off the NHS it's not about that at all and you know I think um, people it's not about the people within it fundamentally it's about a structure that is very is basically written for huge huge amounts of people Yes. and doesn't necessarily cater to individualized care so policy you may be served up with policy that does not serve you as an individual so the one that comes up time and time again for which I well there's a few but the big one is BMI well, you've got high BMI, so you can't have a water birth and you can't birth from the birthing centre. Bollocks. That is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that BMI is just such a stupid concept anyway. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, ridiculous. It didn't, yeah, exactly. You know, from an, an 18th century Belgian mathematician, you know, um, to, to uh for populations of white men. You know and so that doesn't even cater for women or especially women from you know from different cultural backgrounds carry on yeah so bmi so um yeah so a, a belgian mathematician from the 1800s um and he was uh it was uh, about populations of white men um so nothing in any way taking into account cultural competency or women or birthing people um it's insane that we still use it at all um but it's absolute bollocks to say just as a kind of sweeping statement, you can't have a water birth. So if somebody is six foot tall, they would have potentially have the same BMI as somebody who's like five foot two, and you know, um, with a who's just a bit um, a larger size or whatever. It's um, it's there's so many weird policies that are put into place um, that are kind of from a sort of fear-based backgrounds and i have had lots of clients who have then taken it to a professional midwifery advocate and have got the birth experience that they wanted because they knew that they could go quote unquote off menu (laughs) that they could say well in my case i'm really fit and healthy it just so happens that my bmi is you know whatever higher than they want it to be um according to their trust policy and but i really want the benefits of a water birth and most cases, they will, you know, people will get that experience that they want. Um, So that's hugely important. And then the induction of labour thing is obviously a huge thing that's rumbling on at the moment. And in fact, um, if anyone is not following Kemi Johnson, did she teach you as well, by the way, Poppy? I don't know if she did.
0: No, so so yeah, I follow on Instagram and most of my listeners who I'm in contact with are, you know, they go through the pressure of induction. So I'd literally just say, go over to Kemi because obviously I can't give medical advice. And then they go to her and then they, they basically, you know, Get all of her amazing
1: content. So yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave her Instagram link in the description. Fantastic. She's particularly great, you know. So she's an independent midwife. For anyone who doesn't know, and um she actually, I was lucky that she taught me my first kind of uh, round of hypnobirthing teaching. And um she's really just calling out this kind of systemic systemic use of or overuse of induction. Now, there absolutely is a place for induction of labour. Of course there is, but this kind of like insane blanket policy of like was a daily mail article this week yeah. about oh well um that people at 41 weeks should now be routinely offered and that's a specific word offered um <laughs> induction um and oh, i don't know and, and the, the theory was well because that will prevent cesareans but we know that that is not true sarah wickham yeah. produced a piece of um um research this week that was saying that in every at every stage of gestation the likelihood um, incre- increased with induction of labour. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a real conundrum, and I think you know. And I get the pressure, like I said, even the second time around, I agreed to it just so that I didn't have to keep constantly saying no.
0: Well, the it. worst thing is when they when they make you feel guilty and they talk about yes. stillborn, because that's one yeah. way, one sure way to get to a pregnant woman to do something is is oh. tell her the baby is at risk, and that's I think cool. really really damaging when they do that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's so coercive, that kind of language, you know, when you're hearing things like, you know, oh, well, we, don't you want what's best for your baby? And I mean, nobody cares about the, the you know, the, the safety of your unborn child more than you do. You know, it's such an insulting thing to be told mm. that and nobody should hear stuff like that. So, I, you know, um, I, if, you, if you do want more information about induction of labour, there are also some brilliant books of so the Why It Matters. So Why Induction Matters is great. Sarah Wickham's book on it, The Aims Guide to Induction because you should also know what is happening each stage of that. So on my course, I do actually teach very specifically, well, here's stage one and then here's stage two, here's stage three. And also, you know that any point you don't want to go further up that chain, you can say, no, thank you. I've had enough. I would rather have cesarean than go through this, further up into this process, if you indeed even start that process at all um but um yeah it's a real you know i think it's about one in three in this country i mean that article said one in five which is just nowhere near the figures the true figures for it um and it's not that induction of labor is inherently bad and if you decide to do that there are loads of things you can do to still make it a really positive experience to help um the environment and in fact if anyone wants to is going down that route and wants a positive induction story holly's birth story which is on my website is amazing it is an absolute masterclass in um how to make an induction positive and she did it she went up to the highest level so the, the hormone drip with gas and air she didn't need it and she talks about wow. it as being most wonderful experience so it's possible oh it i'll add
0: be. that in the description i think that'll be really oh, yeah, useful
1: please, please do it's a, it's an absolutely beautiful story and she's such an inspiration you know so but i think it, it like i say just so conscious that like um I was talking to her through that induction because, of course, this was during COVID, so her partner wasn't allowed to be with her for about three days before it even you know, fully kicked off. And she said that she had a moment. She, I remember her ringing me and saying, or texting me and saying, it's looking like a caesarean. And I was like, okay, well, let's think about the options with that. And then the next day, she just, she had a day off because they were doing the pessary kind of on a rotation basis So, however many hours it was. Um, and she said, well, I just got my head in the game. I was just walking around the hospital, talking to her baby, just like this is, we're gonna make this, I'm not gonna not have you the way I want you to. And suddenly she dilated as much as she needed to for them to break her waters. Um, and she opted for that because that felt like the right decision for her. I think she was um, had an induction at in 41 weeks. Um, so it's not um, that it's all doom and gloom. It's, but I think the thing with an induction is, is positive as well part of that is if you feel that you have chosen that rather than you have been coerced into that decision and that's the difference that's you know?
0: it that's yeah. it yeah um I just want to rewind quickly and just uh talk a bit about what you were talking about when you you were saying that you you actually really needed to make sound uh during labor and I agree exactly. that the hypnobirthing videos um are very You know, women are quiet, uh, sort of breathing, and then you just don't hear them make a sound. And obviously, when we show that those videos, it is kind of saying, this is the goal. So I am definitely with you. I actually teach a big, big part of my course is actually using your voice and the power of vocalization. You know, um, how important it is to let go and actually roaring or moving or saying fuck can be a really (laughs) empowering thing to do when you are in pain. Uh, it's it's a really like it's it's an instinctive and primitive response to pain and it's an amazing sound that you can create as well so I I'm definitely a big advocate for making sound during during labor for me it was what carried me through I wouldn't have been able to do it without sound actually yeah
1: Definitely. And there is some research I think that supports of that kind of lower, deeper, because it's often yes. this that kind of like roaring, um, the vibration of that helps in terms of um, softening and releasing pelvic floor and all those sorts of things as well. I should say though, you know, there are, um, in fact, a fellow teacher of mine, Leanne, she said that she was so, she was very internalized. So it's really, it's about everyone's
0: different. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So every labor is going to look different. Every labour for the same person is going to look different, you know. It's um, it's you go with what your body is telling you to do, and that is a huge part of hypnobirthing. That unlocking that instinct because that's in the part of the brain where the kind of the subconscious is, you know, the amygdala, that part of your brain. That um, and and I think what I love seeing on when you teaching is throughout that you start to see this kind of, especially in partners, actually, of like confidence in their instinctive response you know what do you feel what's your body telling you you know mm. there were some studies around um kind of the latest big things coming up and they use that word specifically big babies quote unquote yeah. um and there was a study about um where they asked women how if he had been told they had a big baby and then how big they thought their baby was and actually they were way more accurate in terms about how they felt versus scans and measurements
0: wow
1: yeah it's so interesting um i see if i can dig out the link to it um but it's really you know really believing what is right for you but it's hard if you are operating because most of us are operating within a medical um uh, framework some you know unless you choose to completely free birth which i think rose massively in popularity during um covid because of restrictions partners and things like that which is just such a you know a scandal um uh, but unless you are doing that, unless you, you know, or you decide to have a, you know, deliberate birth before arrival, so a kind of quote unquote accidental home birth, you're operating within a medical system that is, um, and if you're not high risk, then you're low risk. And it's quite hard to just be low risk, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like there is it, to make your way through your entire maternity care without being told oh, well, you've got a bit of a risk mark for this, you know. And yeah. Sarah Wickham frequently talks about if we change that word risk to chance, the difference psychologically, for that means. Yes, yes, um, yes. Because we're so, we live in such a litigious culture and it's not the fault of obstetricians or midwives. It's, you know, by and large, I mean, not all HCPs, healthcare professionals are created equal for sure, but you know, I think last year fifty percent of billions of pounds of litigation were in obstetrics. Mm, so yeah, the backdrop is terrifying. You know, yeah. um, and if you want to know what it's like to be a midwife in the um, NHS, then um, overdue by Amity Reed is one hell of a read. It's heartbreaking, but it's it you know it's a great read because it just shows how tough it is. You know, I am mm. in awe midwives. I have to say. Yeah. Could, I couldn't do it, no, no way.
0: Yeah, agreed. And it's just so important for, you know, pregnant women to understand the context, you know, so that they understand actually these these healthcare professionals are under their own set of pressures, which are making them behave a certain way to me. So I just need to yeah. acknowledge it. Yeah. yeah, yes, absolutely. So Anna, why don't you uh, just talk to us a little bit more about what kind of courses you offer? I know you do the cesarean course. Over to you to just give a bit of a, an overview.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I do. Um, so I teach group courses. So that's six people per course. Um, and my June course, I've got two spaces left at time of recording um, for that. Um, and then I've got some more in August. I'm trying to try to get face to face off the ground, but I'm finding it very difficult at the moment for venues to kind of confirm. Um, Which you know, with restrictions, worries, and things like that. Um, So that's my group, and then I also do um, my hypnobirthing cesarean course, and that came about completely by accident because I was teaching someone who. Um before they start, I asked them to kind of fill in an, an enrollment form. And um on the day we were starting, she'd been so busy, she said, Well, I'm having a plant cesarean. And I was like, Shit, loads of this is not relevant to you. Um, so effectively I wrote a course around her. And luckily she was a kind of a mate, so it was that I could be a bit more kind of like flexible in the way that I was doing stuff. And actually she's a pre and postnatal trainer. So I talked her through the kind of main course from a um um uh, uh, from a kind of professional point of view for her um but then effectively i wrote my own course which is the fet is understanding all of the kind of the hypnobirthing stuff and how that can help you psychologically um but also those birthing hormones are still really important for bonding after birth and um, beta endorphins can also help your recovery after cesarean as well your natural pain relieving um hormone hormones um and then the second so that's two part course and then the second week is kind of um the full process. So what happens, who is in the room and why? um, uh, What are your choices? Because there are so many choices for a cesarean and a lot of people don't realise. And I would highly encourage everybody to have a cesarean plan. Because if we're now getting closer to, I think we're close to a third. I mean, the statistics is one in four, but I reckon it's one in three. Of, of baby of babies are born by cesarean. Um, so that's one-to-one. And then I also do here and there kind of refresher courses for people who have done hypnobirthing before. Um, and then I've also, I, um, a kind of a short course um, which uh, is more kind of tailored. So I taught someone at 39 weeks, <laughs> you know, um, a couple of hours with them and they went on to have a really positive birth experience because it just helped a partner to understand what he can, how he could help affect that and um, helping the birth um, experience. And um, so, yeah, so those, those are the, um, the, the sort of things that I teach. Um, and I love it. It's such a privilege. I mean, to be asked to help people at that point in their life is amazing
0: hi guys if you're still here that is amazing i'm just adding this announcement onto the end to let you guys know that my online hypnobirthing course birth box is now live go and check it out i've put so much love into this it's an immersive course that's split up into video and audio content so really giving you a flexible learning experience And the content is designed to help you feel better prepared, more informed and confident and excited for birth. So if you want to feel like that, then go and check it out. I've put everything into this, lots of love, lots of passion. And I really hope that you feel that as you work your way through the course. So uh, go and check it out in the link below and have a lovely day. Aw, I loved catching up with Anna. Such a good chat. I feel like we could have gone on and on forever. That's what happens when you get birth workers together. Too much passion. But guys, if you'd like to follow Anna, then see the description for a link to her website and Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a lovely day.